This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from 11 to 1. Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Here is Libby Snymer. Welcome back. Well, as I said at the top of the show, this just in because this just came in. An Ontario judge has agreed to allow a terminally ill man to have doctors help him die. Superior Court Justice Paul Perel gave the green light after a 30-minute hearing. Neither the federal nor the provincial government opposed the request. And it's the first case in Ontario, the second in Canada, in which somebody sought an exemption on assisted dying, and that's because we're all waiting for the federal government to come out with a new law. Uh, This man is now 81. He was diagnosed with lymphoma in 2012, and he's basically bedridden and in bearable pain, and the court heard that he will likely choose to die on the weekend. Now, uh, we are waiting for this new law on assisted dying, but Everyone, including the proponents of that, agrees. The other side of that coin is that we need more palliative care for people at the end of life. And yesterday, the Canadian Cancer Society went to Ottawa on a pre-budget, uh, a pre-budget discussion and call, is calling on the government to make sure that there is money set aside in the budget next week for more palliative care, and that's because there are big gaps. And by the way, with cancer alone, and that's just one disease that people die of, though a major one, uh, there is expected to be a 40% increase in cancer cases over the next 15 years, and unfortunately that means a lot more people will need end-of-life care. I have Gabrielle Miller, the Director of National Public Issues for the Canadian Cancer Society, on the line in Ottawa. Hi, Gabriel. Hi, Libby. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, what are the main gaps in palliative care? Well, I think, you know, big picture, the biggest gap is in the care that's available to support people who should really be uh, at home or in a community setting, in a you know maybe in a hospice or some other type of care facility, we have a health system as as I'm sure you know that is built um, almost entirely around uh, putting patients into hospitals, and um, you know beyond that, really covering some of the or covering the costs of visiting a doctor. But uh, as our population gets older, um, and we have more people. Uh, approaching the end of life and dealing with all sorts of issues from um, uh, depression to their spiritual and psychological needs to pain management needs, many of these people uh, shouldn't be in hospitals uh, spending their final days where it's going to cost a great deal more money to care for them and where they're not going to actually have their needs met as well as they would if they were cared for at home or in their own community. Okay, you know, um, hang on there for a sec. I'm going to give out the numbers because I want to hear from people about their experiences with a loved one who is at home, maybe terminally ill, or a loved one who had to go into the hospital for their last days and was surrounded by machines and there were issues with 
privacy. I, I want to hear people's experiences. 416-360-0740 and 1-866-740-4740. And, and Gabriel, you really put your nail on it. it. It costs much more, much more to be in a hospital where uh, it's not necessarily appropriate. You might have to be sharing a room with, with another patient while your loved one is, you know, passing away. Um, the family, it's tremendously, I mean, so many of us have been through that spending last days with a family member. It's tremendously emotional and you need like a little bit of, of space where you can retreat from the room sometimes. No, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, paramount in this conversation does have to be the, the human experience. And I think that that's got to be our first concern in terms of, of how our system's working now. Um, you know, for all sorts of reasons, our system has, has evolved over, over time to really focus on um, the disease and not always the person and to fight that disease uh, in, you know, a hospital or an emergency care setting. And um, the fact of the matter is caring for people, especially as they're confronting a life-threatening disease, is more complicated than that. Um, good palliative care has to be provided by a team. It can't just be one or two specialists. It has to be, um, you know, your family doctor, uh, in the case of cancer, your oncologist, your, your home care worker. And together, these people need to be on the same page in terms of, of what your treatment plan is going to be, where you want to make certain choices in terms of, of um increasing treatment or taking a more uh, palliative approach, your pain management, uh, all of the symptoms that go along with fighting a disease, if, if that's where you're at in terms of nausea and, and uh, a sleep loss, uh, the whole person has to be taken in consideration. And, and we don't right now have um, the, spe- the, the palliative care specialists trained to do, to do I that. I think it was just recently became a specialty. That's right. And, I mean, in fact, it's still... Uh, very much um, in a gray zone in terms of how how much it's recognized as as medically necessary and and a, a specialty. You know the the mo- most recent report that I've seen showed that um, the average uh, medical school only ha- spends about ten hours in uh, in the curriculum. Uh, you know, teaching palliative care. Gabriel, I have callers waiting, and before yeah. we both take those calls, I just want to relate something that that also puts it on patients. A lot of people are afraid of the term palliative care. And I I can say this from personal experience. Uh, When I was first diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a long time ago, thank God, Mm -hmm. I was in terrible pain and my oncologist sent me to a palliative care doctor. And the first thing I said to him was like, palliative care, you are just completely freaking me out. And, and he kind of looked at me straight and said, oh, you know, I, I occasionally have patients that are with me for a year or two. You know, that wasn't yeah. very comforting. But one of the problems with getting palliative care is that people don't ask for it soon enough. Yeah. And they don't ask for it soon enough because they think, oh, this means I'm on my deathbed. So... Uh, people out there, I just encourage, it doesn't necessarily mean that. So, uh, because, uh, you know, I was fired as a patient from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I have to encourage people like, you know, don't wait to ask for it because then it really might not be there when you need it. But let's go to the phones now. And I have uh, John in Oak Ridges. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Fine. How are you? Hi, couldn't be better. Thank you for asking. I just wanted to comment on a a personal experience I had several years ago. My father had uh, suffered a stroke, 
and he was uh, admitted into the hospital. They had conducted so many tests on him, and he was there for a 10-month period. Wow. During that 10 months, we had been in contact, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, CCAC? Yep. And, you know, at 10 months, they couldn't find um, a care facility for my father, and uh, we kept on contacting them, not overwhelmingly, but, you know, we were concerned. My dad wanted him to be in a care facility looked after 24-7. Nevertheless, he did pass away after 10 months. But what shocked me is I received a bill from the hospital for $15,000. What? We received a bill from the hospital for $15,000. And what it did, it stated on it that um, they were caring for him in that 10-month period, plus all these other tests and processes that they did to try to rehabilitate my dad because he had suffered a stroke. And... um, I, I ended up talking to a lawyer that um, helped us out, and we got it down to about $8,000. Um, so we're kind of shocked with the bill. Yeah, I, I I don't know if anybody can answer. I mean, I have no idea, and it's it's a, you're a little bit off topic, so I, I don't think that our well, guest could, has, can, okay. can offer well, you anything is, on that. Well, my point is I think that the... The 10 months I talked to CCAC and trying to get into a, a care facility, we just never got into one. Yeah, we need, I mean, obviously palliative care is not the only area where we need it's, it. We really have to focus more on community-based care, getting it out of those, uh, you know, expensive hospitals. Uh, John, thanks a lot for your call. Thank you. Okay. And uh, now we are going to go to Maria in Etobicoke. And Maria, you're a retired palliative care nurse? Yes, I, I did. And um, unfortunately, my sister passed away from cancer about like four or five years ago. Uh, sorry to hear that. Thank you. And she lived in Brampton. And as I said to the screener, I was really shocked to see how the difference um, of the um, resources that somebody has available to them in Toronto compared to what she had available to her in Brampton. So what was better, Toronto? Oh, by star. The pen management was pitiful. I had to be calling and calling, and the family doctor would make um, home visits. I did not know why he didn't um, at least refer her to somebody else who could. Mm-hmm. was just ordering, like, tablets for her when she was in excruciating pain. There's one period I stayed up, and I told her, well, after she wanted to die at home, and after this, I said, you have to go to the hospital. I stayed up about 30 hours stretch to make sure she had the medications, her regular dose every four hours, and her breakthrough pain every two hours. Nobody should have to do that. Um, Maria, hang on. Let, let's ask Gabriel about this. Gabriel, what are some of the disparities in access to care? I mean, here we're talking about, you know, uh, Toronto and greater Toronto. Yeah, I mean, it, it is actually the most shocking thing or has been one of the most shocking things for me as I've learned more about the issue because as Canadians, we grow up thinking of ourselves as a country that has a universal health care system where everyone has, you know, a pretty similar expectation of, of the standard of care that they can access when they need it and that it, it won't be uh, denied them because of their, their uh, financial situation. And what we find with palliative care uh, is a very different world from that, where not just between provinces, but between neighboring communities, um, the wait to get into uh, the right kind of care facility, 
the level of home care or home uh, medical visits available will vary dramatically. Um, the approach taken, uh, forget between communities, within the same hospital by different doctors in consultation with different patients can be different. And this is all symptoms of the fact that um, as a country, uh, this vital medical service hasn't been recognized as a vital, a vital medical service and hasn't been recognized as a service the system has to provide in a consistent and universally affordable way. And so far too much onus is being left kind of on, on discretionary choices or decisions by uh, individual physicians, individual facilities, or individual provinces. Okay. Um, this is a fascinating conversation. Uh, we have more callers waiting. Uh, right now we have to take a quick break. And, Gabriel, please hang on the line. Callers, please hang on the line. Before we go, I'm going to give the numbers once again because, again, we want to hear uh, your experiences. Maria, if you like, please hang on the line as well. 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from 11 to 1. Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Here is Libby Snymer. Welcome back. We are talking about palliative care and the need for more of it, for more of it. And we want to hear your experiences with end-of-life care. Uh, did you have trouble? Uh, in the last days with a loved one because you didn't have access to the right kind of care. I'm here with Gabrielle Miller, uh, who is the National Issues Director for the Canadian Cancer Society. Let me give out the numbers one more time, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. And let's go to Joan in Colburn. Hi, Joan. Hello. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, what was your experience? Um, Go ahead. Um, I'm just calling in, actually. I was listening to your program. I thought it was very interesting, and I never had the time to express how I felt at the time when my mother was sick. She was diagnosed with um, a bone cancer, uh-huh. and she was sent home, and I nursed her at home, and I was told that I would get help. Uh, nursing help, um, obviously, because I wasn't um, knowledgeable enough to do this, and she had a whole cocktail of, of drugs. But when I got her home, uh, the nurse came in and, and was um, doing whatever they should have been doing. But then I was told, well, I was getting more uh, to do for her than the nurse. And one weekend, she had a catheter fitted, and the catheter got plugged. And I called the nurse, and I said, oh, it's urgent. Could you come out? And it was a male nurse, and he said, no. He said, you'll have to do this. And I said, I'm not capable of putting a catheter in. Anyway, uh, he wouldn't come, so I had to call the hospital, and she went into hospital, and the, the nursing staff told me that I would never have been able to fit this catheter but my point is when she got into the hospital she was palliative but they didn't put her into a palliative care unit they put her into a ward with four other people in well so probably yeah I, I please please continue but I'm just going to say that's probably the only place they had you know 
I agree with you there. And But there were rooms. I was told, well, you know, there are rooms that we can put her into. And I said, well, can you not? And she was right by the toilet as well. So it was very busy. But eventually, and with the help of my boss then, who was the Member of Parliament, she helped in a way that got my mother into a room, which was fine. And I'm not saying anything about the care that she got. She got good care, but it was very daunting for me at the time. And um, I, I wasn't getting the support. I, if I, only I'd have got the support. I, I hear you. It's 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 so hard, even even with all the support that you can have, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a horribly difficult thing uh, to go through. Uh, Gabriel, uh, do you have any comments on Joan's experience? I do. I mean, first of all, I just want to thank her for sharing that story. I mean, and also thank you for, for caring for someone at home because the truth is that we're going to be relying on family members to take care of more and more Canadians as we face this incre- this growing need because we won't have the health resources to do it all in hospitals. I feel like the story, in a way, is a textbook case that illustrates the, the challenge and the gaps that we have to fix because, you know, you start with a situation where someone uh, wants to and probably is the best person to be uh, at least part of or leading the care for a family member, but the holes in the system make that impossible. And then um, when... Th- the person then they do need to turn to to the health system um it's not equipped to to support joan's mother in the way that probably makes the most sense and and that's most affordable and i think this is one reason why it's important for people to watch what's happening in ottawa and uh, with the provinces in the next little while because there will be some more money for palliative care but we've had more money for these things in the past and what's really important is we don't just buy uh, more catheters or a few more nurses, uh, or a couple more beds, but that, that those dollars are really attached to a, a completely different way of approaching these issues so that uh, it's not so much asking for a favor for someone to come out in those circumstances, but you know you're going to have someone come and provide medical support when it's needed at home. And you know that when you do need to turn to the hospital, um, they're going to have the space for them in the place that makes the most sense. And and um, is it also a matter of building the right kind of facilities, palliative care facilities, the really good ones that I've seen? They look more like a house. It absolutely does. Yeah, there, this is a um, there's definitely a culture change that needs to be to be made here. That the idea that that medicine is something that only happens inside of a kind of um, you know an antiseptic looking hospital uh, is not only and not true, but it's actually, you know, dangerously misleading because it, it takes us away from the kind of care that you're talking about. Okay. Uh, Joan, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Okay. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Let us go to, uh, trying to see who's who's been in line the longest here, Renee in Toronto. Hi, Renee. Hi. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I wanted to tell you that my sister was dying of cancer. We wanted to keep her at home, and uh, we called CCAC. Uh, we had we had help uh, five days a week, but naturally the girl needed the weekend off. So we called CCAC, and they sent people in eight-hour shifts 
Each person waited till the next one came to show her around and show her what medication my sister needed and so on. And it was fantastic. We never could have done it without CCAC. So let's give them some credit. Uh, uh, Happy to give them some credit, but you are very lucky getting that amount of care. What do you think, Gabriel? Well, I... I, I, it's wonderful to hear that story, and in fact, I, my family has a story that's more like that one than, than others, where my mom was at home, and we had um, just terrific and, and consistent support from ca- community care uh, support workers. And I, when I think about a story like that, all I think is that should be the rule uh, and not the exception. And so uh, it's an inspiration, and I think we need to make that the goal for everybody. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for your call. And uh, we have time for a quick one here. Uh, so let's go to uh, Margaret in Hamilton. Hi. Margaret? Hello. Hello. Oh, yes. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi. Um yeah, I'd just like to tell you about my situation. Okay, I'm um, just I, going to, unfortunately, we only have um, about a, a, a minute, so can you just, if you can tell us quickly, sorry about that. Very quickly. I had extremely good palliative care for my husband um, last year. He passed away in October, and like the other lady just uh, said, I couldn't have asked for better. I had a nurse come in every day showed me what to do and as soon as I said from cradle to grave I was going to look after him they bent over backwards to help me it it was amazing so again kudos to the palliative care team here in Hamilton okay thank you very much for your call Margaret Um, thank you so we have to make sure that everybody gets that kind of care just before we go. Uh, Gabriel, how much money did you ask the government for? Well, actually, it's money the government has promised. It, it promised in last fall's election campaign that it was going to invest $3 billion over four years. Well, you have to make sure they do that. That's it. So we want them to do that on Tuesday. And then we want to follow it up with um, an agreement with the provinces that's not just going to improve palliative care, but guarantee it for everyone. Okay, Gabriel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from 11 to 1. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to 1. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to 1. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.